0: My privilege to be with you. Praise the Lord for this opportunity. Uh, it's Friday night. It's amazing that people come Friday night. When I was uh, a kid, and I not all the wheels functioned well, you know. I was at the balcony at the church in the back, in the choir, and Friday nights when we had meetings. I had a, a, a straw or like a pen or a pencil that I cut the two ends, and I had rice, and I was watching people who sleep because they are tired. It's Friday night, and I would shoot them with rice in the head to teach them that they should not sleep in Sabbath in the church. Now, don't worry, I don't have anything like that tonight. So if you go to sleep, you'll not get uh, rice, you know. <laughs> I want to, I wonder if this functions. Let's see, give me one second slide, presenter view. Yes, praise the Lord. I want to emphasize a few things as we start tonight. And probably you will not, with this weekend, probably you will not be very excited because You may hear some things that you know, or you may hear some some things that you don't, or you don't agree with. If you judge me, I will pray for you. If you don't like it, don't call call me back, that's okay. But pray that the Holy Spirit would impress the things that you need and we need to hear. Because we have been somehow, and I I don't know you, so hopefully I am wrong, living in some complacency, and we always do what we do, and we always desire more, and it doesn't usually happen, and we just pray and it doesn't happen, and so I'm going to go into some of those issues, and that requires a little uh, willingness for change and a little sacrifice, and people want change without sacrifice. I tell my wife, I have nothing against that you change whatever in the house. Just don't touch my stuff. You understand how we want change? That's the way we want change. Don't touch my stuff. Leave it the way it is. It's good what it is. So, folks, uh, if you look in the Bible, listen carefully. All the big people, people of faith in the Bible that they walked with God, and they talked with God. All the people that God used to perform amazing things, like Moses and Abraham and Joseph and Daniel and so on and so forth, all of them, we say, what a walk they had with the Lord. I'm going to stop right there and give you a parallel short story, and then go back there. When I was in Andrews, most of my classmates were sponsored by a certain conference. Regardless, If Georgia or Tennessee or California or whatever conference came and they had an interview and then they got sponsorship, so the conference would pay their tuition, the conference would pay their books, the conference would pay their insurance, the conference would pay their apartment, and some of them even got a stipend of a few dollars, three, four, five hundred dollars a month. Isn't that nice? Your school paid, you know? Well, because I was from Romania, and I was not a citizen yet, nobody sponsored me. And so I am in a new country. I don't know English. I used to talk with my hands that after one hour talk, my hands would hurt. I don't know English. I don't have a work permit. I don't have insurance. Sometimes some Americans, not you, you are good people. When they talk to you and you don't understand... They talk louder, they scream, hoping that if they scream, you understand better English. And so, they had a car, I didn't have a car, I had to walk through the snow. They had food, I didn't have food. And for me, food and Sabbath are holy, you know? And so, I didn't have food. So when you go five days without food, you may be okay. If I go five hours without food, for me, it's the end of the world. And so, imagine that situation. And one of my classmates that was sponsored asked me, why would God perform miracles for you and not for me? And I told him, because you don't need a miracle. And I said, it's easy. What do you do? We switch places. You give me all your sponsorship, and you take mine, and God is going to perform miracles for you. Now I'm going to go back to the previous subject. All this Bible... People, we say, oh, what a what a wonderful life. They walked with God. But we don't want to see that Joseph spent 17 years as a slave in Egypt, out of which seven years in prison, innocent. Are you willing to go as a slave and be in a prison for so many years? Are you? Don't answer because we don't want you to lie. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness, 40, 4, 0. Would you have the patience to wait 40 years for God's answer to prayer? Abraham left his country. Abraham waited so many, 26 years for a son. Would you have that patience for an answer to prayer? Daniel was taken a slave in Babylon. Would you be willing to go through the pain they went through to get to that level? We just want to graduate from the medical school without going to school. You, you, you see what I'm trying to say? Ellen White says that God allows challenges and crises because there are lessons that you'll never learn unless we are purified through fire. We'll never learn faith unless we reach the point that we need that type of faith to entirely depend on the Lord, to have nothing that would help us go through the crisis. To learn dependence, to learn humbleness, to learn love. All these lessons hurt. They are a painful surgery. And so we never, we are never done. We always keep growing and we should keep growing. And all this growth requires from change to change to change. And that requires crisis and crisis and crisis and trials. How ca- You say, Lord, give me patience. Be careful what you pray. How could God give you patience unless God would send somebody to bother you, step all over you? So you learn patience. If nobody bothers you, how can you know that you are patient? You understand? And so whatever we pray, God answers by allowing some challenges in that direction. And we say, God, please solve this problem. And God says, would you make up your mind? Because you asked for this, now I am working on it. And you say, no, 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 I I don't want this crisis. I just want the results. Do you follow me? And the Bible says clearly, for we know, it's not that we think, we hope, we know that... How many things? How much means all? If you heard me before, I checked it in Greek to see the translation. You know the translation in Greek? The word all? All. We (laughs) know... Yes. We know that all things... That means, including trials and crisis and pain and disease, all things work together. That means that God is in control. If God is in control, he's not in vacation, he has the power, he has the wisdom, he has the love, he has a thousand solutions for any crisis. It means that God could have solved it if he wanted to. But if God didn't solve it, he says, you need it. You say, Lord, I want to be in heaven. Then God says, you'll never, the way you are, you need to learn this and that and that. And for that, you need this crisis. And you say, Lord, would you please let me be in heaven without going through this crisis? And God says, if you really want to grow, you really need to trust me and go through it. And when you go through, he doesn't say this, if you go through waters, you will. It's a matter of time. When you go through waters, I'll be with you. He says, you'll go through crisis, but you'll never be alone. You follow me? And we always try to solve crisis instead of saying, Lord, help me grow. And we go to God and our prayers, if you watch carefully, even the most faithful ones, from the beginning to the end, they start with, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for being me today. And then, Lord, please help my son. He has a job problem. Please, my health. Please, my... And we keep asking and asking and asking. You follow me? And we keep asking. Instead of stopping for a second and saying, Lord, I would like this problem solved. Nevertheless, may your will be done. And I mean, Lord, do whatever you want. I give you permission. I beg you, let me go through anything that would honor you and would grow me to serve you and would prepare me for heaven. You follow me? And so saying that, I want to give you an example. You go back in the Bible, way back. There is war. Syrian army goes into Israel territory constantly. The spirit of prophecy talks about that. The Bible talks about that. Constantly, they have incursions into Israel. They kill people, and then they go back. And then next month, they go again. It's war. I want you to imagine you are there, and the Syrian army comes over you, and you are in the field working with your family. And they kill your spouse, they kill your children, and you manage to run and hide. And then they burn your house. Are you a happy foe? Huh? No! It's easy for us to sit here. But if you are in that situation, and then they come again next month, and they come again two years, three years, five years, you get tired of the war. And one day they come into your house, and they kill everybody, and you are alone, and you are, let's say, 10 years old, or 12 years old. They killed your parents in front of you. They killed your brother and your sister, they took everything, they burned the house, and they take you 12 years old, as a slave in Syria. Are you happy? But you say, I pray, Lord, why didn't you deliver me? You follow me? Where is God when your family was killed, when you are taken a slave and you are young and you are only 14 or whatever and you are taken a slave in Syria and you don't know the language and you serve a tyrant who comes to the army, Naaman, you remember? And kills everybody. Where is God? You understand our argument when we go through things. I I know God loves me, but why would He allow this? We doubt God. And so she's taken a slave into Syria. A Naaman is the tyrant. A Naaman is strong, and everybody is afraid of him and everybody owes him even the Syrian king owes him because he made the country so powerful he's a strong uh, uh, minister of defense okay and when the general naiman walks on the streets everybody bow down they bow down and they salute him and they are afraid of him and they need six months appointment time to to get to talk to him and he's somebody okay and she's nobody and he has honor and he has a good life and she is a slave. Why would God do that to his children? God is willing to do anything to save a soul. And God loves Naaman, the tyrant, so much that he allows the family of the Israel, God's people, girl, to be killed and the girl, God's child, to be taken a slave. Is that right? Are you willing to be that girl? Every challenge we face, Lord is reigning. I don't go to church today. It's a crisis for us. I'm not talking about you. You are holy people. I'm talking about the others. Every challenge, regardless how small we face, we panic and we doubt. Because we are looking for help while we say we are looking for God. And as soon as blessings and help and answers don't come to our prayers, we doubt why doesn't God answer and we don't feel secure. Because we depend on miracles and blessings, instead of depending on relationship. An eternal life is not to get answers to prayers. Eternal life is to know God. To have such a type of relationship, that if you are the Syrian girl, or if you are, if you are Job and you lost your family and your health, or if you are uh, whoever in the Bible, Paul, and you are in prison in Mamertini. Have you been there? Anybody has been there in Italy to see the Mamertini prison? It's a hole in the ground, way down, that you cannot move. You have to stay that way. And there are drops of water dripping in your head. And you spend two years there. Uh, is that fun? Going back. As soon as we feel that we have been praying for three months for a job and God didn't answer, we struggle. Why doesn't Pastor, can you fast for me? Can you pray for me? Because if you pray, God will answer. Because God loves me more than he loves them, you know. And so, isn't that funny? I want you to pray for me. I don't have power, I have back pain. I've been praying for myself and I still have back pain. (laughs) Yes, that's the truth. You know, when I was young, I used to jump from tall buildings for a chocolate. I jumped so many times that I moved two discs from my back. I've been praying forever and the doctor says, you need surgery. I said, I don't want surgery. And my back is still hurting. Why would God not answer my prayer and heal my back? I'm going to get there eventually. Just be patient. And so, God allows her to be sold as a slave. Her family to be killed. God allows her to go into Naaman's house. And Naaman seems to be so blessed and so powerful and so rich. And he kills people. And she seems to be so unfortunate. And she loves Jesus. But Ellen White says that she did not allow herself to feel pity for herself. And we do that. Oh, poor me you know she didn't allow herself to think doubt or discouragement she didn't allow herself to look to trials or circumstances she says that the girl kept her eyes focused on god you don't look to problems you don't look to self you don't look to others keep turn your eyes Upon Jesus, Paul says, I forget what is behind, and I run for the goal ahead, and I keep my eyes focused on the captain of my salvation. As soon as you take your eyes off Jesus, you are fallen, you are gone. You may be in the books of the church, but you are not an Adventist. You don't represent God properly. You misrepresent, you go down on you. You have a wonderful God, be happy. Because the way you behave, it talks about the God you have. You cannot be attractive if you don't have a real God. Hello? huh. And so, she is taken as a slave. By the way, this is not a sermon. She is taken as a slave. And she doesn't allow herself to think about her circumstances. And there, she is supposed to serve the one who killed her family and took her in a foreign country as a slave. Can you love that type of person? If you were her, would you love him and serve him that ruined your life and your future? And she doesn't know the story. We know the story. But she certainly didn't know the future or the story. She didn't read the Bible. You follow me? So she doesn't know the future. But because of her relationship with God, because she is a girl of prayer, because she knows God and she says, even if my skin will be destroyed, I will still Love him and believe in him because I know him. I know my Redeemer lives and I know even if I die, I will see him. She says, whatever happens to me is not important because I don't live for me anymore. I gave my life to him and now I live for him. That's the reason Paul says, I die. That means that you daily give up self. Today, if you got upset with your boss or your spouse, that means that you are not dead. Dead people don't get upset. Dead people don't get anything. They are dead. If you you get offended, if you get hurt, if you get upset, you are very much alive. You follow me? That means that Jesus is not on the throne. You are on the throne. I tell this story when I was a kid in a communist country. They would make fun of me in the school. Oh, you are an Adventist. (laughs) And the whole class, 44 kids, would laugh. You are an Adventist. (laughs) Oh, he's an Adventist. I would go home crying, Dad. They said that I am an Adventist. My father said, Aren't you? Yes. Then why do you cry? Well, I am offended the way they say. Everybody laughs. And my father said, Son, are you an Adventist or not? Yes. My father looked at me and shake his head. He took me by hand. He says, Let's go. Where? Just come. He took me to the cemetery. He showed me a grave. He says, I want you to call him an Adventist. I said, But he is dead. I said, just call him. I said, you are an Adventist. And my father, what does he say? I said, he's dead. My father said, I want you to call him stupid. I said, I cannot do that. He's dead. Just call him. I said, you are stupid. How did he react? I said, nothing. My father said, I want you to hit him. I said, I'm not going to hit a grave. Just hit him. I said, okay. "Eh." What did he say? I said, nothing. My father took me like this by my cheeks, looked into my eyes and said, son, when you are alive, people will hurt you. When you learn to die nobody can hurt you hello hello why are we hurt because jesus is not so much alive as much as we are alive and we want him to live in us but we want us to live in us and we want kind of to divide it he can get 90 percent, but we still need to keep something because unless we don't keep something, we don't feel secure. How can I lose control and then be safe? Because we don't trust him while we say we do, as much as we trust self. Hello? And so because we don't know him, we don't trust him. And therefore we are afraid to fully surrender. And it's easier to return tight, what is good we should. And it's easier to keep Sabbath, what we should. And it's easier to go to church, camp, eating and eat tofu and do all the stuff, what we should Then to surrender. And God wants us to do all those things, but he wants us first to surrender. Because Pharisees ate clean and kept Sabbath and returned tight. But they didn't surrender. You understand? And before we surrender, God cannot work. And God cannot save. Unless we die, he cannot be alive in us. Somebody has to stay on the throne, and that should not be you or me. You follow me? And therefore, God allows whatever it takes to teach us spiritual death. Because there is, there is no life unless the seed would die. There is no fruit it doesn't produce unless the seed is buried. And we struggle with that term. We will do whatever else except surrender. Therefore, God cannot work. You say, where is God? Where are the miracles from the Bible? My sisters and brothers, God never changed. God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We change. God who moved, split the sea. God who put the sun 10 hours back. God who took down the walls of Jericho. God who resurrected the dead. God who did the the plagues for Egypt. God who did so many things, He can do it today. He's in the business of doing great things. But he cannot do it for people unless they fully surrender. Because if God did it for you or for me, and we didn't surrender, we would use whatever blessing that he gives us, or power, or miracle, or whatever, in the way we think, either selfish or amiss, or in a wrong way, or in the way we plan, and that would be dangerous. And God cannot work powerfully for you before you surrender so much, that you are absolutely dead. The spirit of prophecy says that Enoch got to the point of spiritual maturity. That he fully and freely gave up his will. Listen carefully. You read in Patriarchs and Prophets. He gave up his will and he wanted God's will regardless what that may be. Not that he didn't have a will. But he said, Lord, I want your will, not mine. When you do that fully, then God can work in you and through you without any fear. Because you are not going to use it in a wrong way. Because you don't act on yourself. You do whatever he says, regardless if you understand or not, if you like it or not. You understand? You do whatever he says. You don't have comments. He says, sacrifice your son. Bang. He says, leave your country, leave your bank account, leave your job and go. Bang. You do it. You don't have a will anymore. You say, Lord, I know you. I trust you. I am ready to die for you. Then God can work. You understand? So we wonder why God doesn't change my life. Why God doesn't answer. Because we live for self. We pray for self. We work for self. We want self to be saved. We want everything for self. And we should disappear. Self should be. Eleni says that self is the greatest enemy that is in need to be crucified. Satan doesn't even need to do much if self is so strong in us. You understand? And so back to the girl. The girl didn't allow herself to think about self. And she served the enemy as she would serve God. And she prayed for the enemy as you would pray for your family. To the point that if somebody came to you, even today, moreover in that time, and you had leprosy, and somebody told you that if you go to that water, and if you get in the water, you will be healed Would you believe that person? Moreover, if it was a slave, 10 years old or 14 or whatever, would you believe that? Leprosy would be healed. Would you? If you have cancer, God forbid, and somebody, a kid from the street comes to you and says, oh, uh, you see that uh, lake? Get in the lake one time. When you get up, you have no cancer. Would you believe that? If you tell me that if I jump from here down, I get uh, Mercedes, Do you think I believe that? Oh, I would jump in a second. Just give me the Mercedes, you know. And so, why did Naaman believe something that was absolutely impossible? Leprosy had no cure. And moreover, it was not a doctor that told him. It was a slave. And it was not an adult. It was a, a kid. Why did he believe her to the point that she went in the enemy territory to be healed? Why did he believe her? Because her life showed God's character. You could see Jesus shining through her. You follow me? That's the reason God can work through her. Because she was selfless. She put God above self, as John says, I shall decrease and he shall increase. As Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die, it's it's you know, it's if I die, I die for him. If I live, I live for him. I don't care self. I, I want to do His will. Whatever happens to me, not important. We need to get that type of spiritual maturity to the point that we fully surrender and sacrifice self and fully forget self. And when we talk to God, we say, Lord, I do have needs. I do need a job. However, I want you more than a job. I want you more than healing. I want you more than family. I want you more than anything else. And you do whatever you want with my job. But Lord, please use me regardless how much it's going to cost me. Life or health or house or job. Use me for your honor and use me to save a soul for your kingdom. So Lord, I am willing to sacrifice self, whatever I am and whatever I have. And my family, would you save somebody? Take my life, take my eternal life, as Moses says. Take my name off and save them. Lord, take my life and save my neighbor. Do we do that? The Bible says, Love your neighbor as. That means that when you buy a coat, you buy one for the neighbor. Do you do that? Well, people smile. That's that's in the Bible. That means that if you pray half an hour for you, you pray half an hour for the neighbor. You you care just the same. That means that when you cook for you, you go to the neighbor and give the neighbor some food. You know, whatever preaching and evangelism we do is not going to have effect before we do that. Loving the neighbor as you love self. You follow me? That's evangelism. And in fact, it's the most powerful evangelism. And it doesn't cost anything except everything. So we want to be like Jesus in a way that we keep Sabbath. What is good, don't get me wrong. Oh, the pastor said we don't need to keep Sabbath if we love one another. I didn't say that. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be saved. We want to keep Sabbath and, and, and go to camp meeting and go to Sabbath school and sing in the choir but if it's possible, without sacrificing self, that doesn't work. And that's the reason we are still here. We could have been in heaven already. So, going back to the story, is not the sermon. The girl, because of her self-sacrifice, and her integrity, and her relationship with Christ, that whatever she goes through, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever no future she goes through, she still has peace. Why? Because she has God. And she says in her mind, Yes, my family was killed. Yes, I am a slave. Yes, I am in Syria. But I know God. And I know that he knows. And I know that if he wanted different, he had the power to change it. Remember when Satan attacked Job, Satan was unable to attack Job unless God gave him permission. Basically, if God says, no, there is a hedge around you and Satan cannot touch you. And if God says, you can go so far, Satan can go so far, not one inch more. Because God has the power to command, to say, to control. And so she says, God allowed it because if God didn't allow it, I would not be here. If God allowed it, I'm going to praise him though I suffer. Remember, Paul is in prison. What is he doing? Singing, can you sing in prison? Peter is in prison, sleeping. Would you sleep in prison? And next door, they were supposed to be executed. Why? Because they say, The Lord is alive. He's my God. I know him. If he allowed me, he has a plan, or he's done with me. Whatever he says, who am I to say different? To try to manipulate him and change him in a way that he does whatever I feel comfortable with. And we pray, Lord, please help me with this. Please change this. Please change that, Lord. And then we fast as a hunger strike to convince God to hear my voice. Instead of fasting to clear our mind, to hear his voice. And then we have faith. Because if you have faith, if you believe, you get it. And use faith as an abracadabra formula that if you have faith, God has no choice but to do whatever you ask. Faith is not to push God, twist his arm to do what you ask. If you believe, he must. Faith is to manipulate you to accept what he wants when you don't understand and still trust. Faith is for you to trust in him, not for him to do what you say. Hello? understand how we switch everything in our favor like politicians whatever they do they switch it but they still come good that's how we switch religion and so she doesn't switch anything she doesn't say lord please save me lord she says like paul like peter like joseph in prison joseph in prison became a blessing for the inmates Instead of complaining, oh, my, my brother sold me and then I'm in this house and, and, and Potiphar, I mean, he, I did nothing and I get thrown in prison and I'm going to die here in prison. He doesn't allow himself to complain. Because when you complain, Spirit of prophecy says that every time in Patriarchs and Prophets, when he talks about Korah, Datam, and Abiram revolt, rebellion, he says they allowed themselves to complain for everything again and again. And she says, the more we complain, the more blind we become to God's blessings until we see blessings as a curse. They say, we got tired of this manna. That was bread from heaven. Oh, God, give me bread from heaven. I'm never going to complain. Really? After you get it for two years, you know you get used to the blessing and you don't see it as a blessing? And you take it as granted? The pillar, the cloud and the fire, day and night, was with them. God's presence protecting them. And they got so used to God's presence that they complained. The water in wilderness from the rock followed them. Jesus, he's the water. And they complained against the water. Can we get you so much with blessing that you don't see the blessings? And so, she back to the story like Joseph. They didn't allow themselves to complain. The three people that complained against Moses and they wanted to kill Moses to stone Moses. Elenai says that they allowed it, and by complaining they became became rebellious, and by being rebellious they started to blame others for their own problems. People who judge others, in fact, they have a problem. Because just because you judge somebody else, it shows that you don't have Christ's character in you. Stop judging people. God called you to love and to help. Pray for people. And so they become rebellious. They want to kill Moses until God shows up and does justice. These people of faith didn't allow themselves to complain. They say, no. If God allows it, because God is in control, then he knows something that I don't know. He knows the big picture. He either wants to change me or to save somebody or to do something and I don't understand I don't like it but I trust in him you follow me I know him enough to the point that whatever I have to go through I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord always even in trials even in pain I don't like pain not crazy to like pain you know but I say Lord I am, I'm gonna make a decision. Oh, p- Pastor, but I don't feel that I can rejoice. I don't feel that God is answering my Elena. I says, Don't base your faith on feelings. It's a mind decision based on His word, His covenant. Oh, I don't feel God has nothing to do with your chemistry, your moods, your feelings. God is the same when you feel it and when you don't feel it. He loves you the same, He knew your sins, He knew your life, and He chose to love you and He loves you. You follow me? And so the girl decides to trust in the Lord in spite of her situation. And because of that trust and self-sacrifice, God can use her. And then the story is long. I'm not going to go through the story. Because of her faith, she has so much power that Naaman, the general of the Syrian army, listens to a little slave and he goes there and, listen carefully, end of the story, Elenoi says, That when he went back, he built an altar to God in Syria. And for the rest of his life, Syria never attacked Israel again. That because a little girl was willing to sacrifice self for the sake of God, trusting in God when she didn't understand God's plan. That's faith. Now we say why God doesn't do miracles. God did a miracle when she was willing to kill herself, to sacrifice self, to die to self. God did an amazing miracle. Are you willing to go through that sacrifice for God to be able to do a miracle? You understand now? The more you want to grow, the closer you want to get to God, the more you need to learn trust and self-sacrifice. Unless you die to self, God cannot fully lead you, cannot fully use you, cannot fully work in you and through you. Therefore, we don't accomplish things. Because we want God to work while we live the same self-centered life. And so, this is not me judging you because I don't know you and I need continually to help. People say, oh, you have faith. No, I don't. Every struggle, personally, my wife and I, every struggle we have, every challenge we have, we start all over again. We say, oh, man, this hurts. And we struggle, we struggle. And then we think about what God has done in the past. And we make the same decision. Let's surrender. And God doesn't work before we go to that fight with self until you surrender, and then God can work. So, uh, uh, I remember specifically, specifically, I, I cannot forget this, in my very first ever district, 28 or more years, 29, whatever, years ago, I, I was somebody. And I don't know if you know my life, or I was somebody. Basically, I had a three, four bachelors, and I had uh, six businesses, literally six businesses, and I had uh, power and I had influence. The last business that we had, my wife and I, was the most powerful. We owned a factory making clothing. And in that time, average salary in American money was about $60 a month. My mom, right now, retirement, my mom's retirement is about $28 a month. Okay, you hear that? If I send her 100 a month, she can live a comfortable life from that 100 that I sent her. Okay. So in that time, my wife and I married roughly, made about 40,000 a day. A day. Not a month. Every day I came home. The least, the worst day I had, I remember I came home with 27,000. And my wife says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 27,000 in one day and she says, what's wrong with you? But I had days that I brought home over 70,000. Can you believe that? You come with two briefcases of money and you put them in the bed and she gets, that's what she did, gets in the middle of the bed and she counts them and she says, you do good. (laughs) We are friends with the mayor, we ate together, chief of police. I would drive through the city like crazy, like 140 kilometers, not miles. And I would drive through the city, no police stop me because I would call the chief of police and they would lose their job. You know, in that type of country, you know, a lot of corruption. I said that. I was in it, you know. So, so everybody would salute me like I was somebody. I knew the prime minister of the country, the prime minister and my family, we ate together. Connections, power, money, influence, that type of life. Every Thursday, I had a private jet that would take me and would fly me to Bucharest. And then I had a car waiting for me would take me from factory to factory, 14 factories. And they would give me the best of the cloth, the material they had. And then I had two, three 18-wheelers a week that to drive three, four hundred kilometers from Bucharest to my house where I had my factory and deliver the material. And then I had people working, making clothing or sport clothing or bed sets or towels or swimming suits or whatever it was the need. And then we were exporting, starting selling it in west of Romania and then in Germany, in Belgium, in all over Europe. We had money. I had contracts of millions. I had a contract with Germany. I had a contract, you know, a good life. Think about it. They called me to ministry, and they offered 64, literally 64 dollars a month salary. It made me laugh. <laughs> I said, "64 dollars a month? What do you do with that?" <laughs> and my wife and I talked and prayed, and we knew that God is calling. So we made the decision to give up the business and go into ministry. And I knew for sure, because of my money and how much money I gave to the church and how many churches I built and and my power and influence and my education, I knew for a fact that they are going to give me the biggest church in the biggest city and I am going to have a good life. They sent me in the mountains to the worst church in the conference. People didn't even know to speak good Romanian. You would need translation from Romanian to Romanian. It was terrible. And my wife and I... They told us, do not take the car, you cannot drive the car there. One time we took the car and the car got suspended on a rock and the wheels would not touch. I mean it. It broke the oil pan or however you call it under the car. They had to come there and they could not come to pick up my car because of the terrain, you know. It was terrible. And so we took the train. We got in a specific city with the train and they told us you need to get off the train and take the other train. I said, what train? Oh, it's in that station. We went. It was an old train like in movies. That was The chairs were from wood and it had a old uh, uh, I don't know how you call it. Locomotive, we say like the engine that had smoke, you know. Have you seen those black smoke, you know, like in movies? And we got on the train and the train started to go and it was raining for three days and three nights, and I was in a Giorgio Armani suit, and I had Ralph Lauren shoes and polo tie, you know. And and we get there, and my wife gets off the train, and they have no blacktop. It's mud. And I look, and I say, oh, man, where should I step? And my wife says, get off the train. I said, honey. And the train starts moving. I said, she says, get off the train. Okay. And I step, and my foot goes all the way deep into the mud. And when I take my foot, my shoe remains there and the mud gets into the shoe. And I forgot that I am a pastor. And then that day I, ah, I said a few words, you know. And my wife says, honey, calm down. You are a pastor now. And I was so offended that they sent me there. And I get there and those people talk funny language and they never take a shower. Maybe once a year. And they come and give me a hug. And I was like, Okay. And I I was like, I told her that Friday night we went home and I said, Honey, why in the world did we accept to go into ministry? And my wife said to me, Moses went into the wilderness. Who are you to complain? I didn't like my wife in that second. (laughs) Do you see what I am trying to say? Before God used Joseph, he put him in prison. Before God use you follow me? Before God can make you and use you, He has to break you and teach you humbleness and death and dependence and trust. And unless you are willing to go through that, you'll never grow. And so my wife says, Honey, you need to learn to trust the Lord because He's in control. And if He allows it, that means that we need it. I said, Okay, it's easy to say, not so easy to go through it. And then Tomorrow morning, Sabbath, I go to church. And the big guy, he's not big like this. He's big like this. It was easier to jump over him than to go around him, you know. He's really big. And he's red. And he comes to me. And I learned that he's the head elder. And he works for the police, for the security, for the KGB. And he's the one that fired 17 pastors. And he's the one that put people in prison. And he's the one that for 42 years has been the head elder. And the church tried to take him down and not elect him at the nominating committee. And every time they didn't elect him, the police came and locked the church. And they said, your church is confiscated. Unless you put him back, you don't have a church. And they allowed him to be elder. And they gave up to remove him because they knew that the police is behind him. And he would go to them and tell them who brought Bibles. And the police would pick it pick up that guy that night and put him in prison because the head elder turned him in for having Bibles. And if you said something that he thought, you said something about the government, he would go to the police and you would get arrested. That man was a Judas. And that man comes to me, and that man, by the way, used to take the tithe of the church and spend it for himself. Furniture and cars. Yep. The truth. And so that guy comes to me. And he comes close, and he's thinking, and he's But whatever. He comes close to me. And he looks into my eyes with hate. And he says, you do what I say. If not, I'm going to terminate you and your family and your life. You are nothing. You are nothing. He says, I am God. That's what he says. He said, I am God. I do hear everything. In Romania, we call this type of people that work for security. We call them that they have the bread and the knife and they cut it the way they like it. It was a saying. Basically, he does whatever he wants, you cannot, there is no justice. In North Korea, in Cuba, there is no justice. If they want to do something to you, they do it, you know? So people are afraid. People would bow down and, please, don't don't touch my family, please, and they would cry. Now, my father taught me that if you have God, you are not afraid of people, you are afraid of God. And my father taught me that in Bible says that when you have God, fear goes away, that in Revelation... 13, he says, the people who are afraid don't go to heaven. Because that talks about the fact that your God is not real. You don't have a relationship with that. So my father said, don't be afraid of communists. Don't be afraid of police. You do what is right. And if they want to persecute you for what is right, for reading the Bible, for getting baptized, let them kill you. And go to death singing. That's what he told me. So when the guy came to me and said, I'm God. I'm going to terminate you. You do what I say, you are happy. As soon as you cross me, you are in prison. You lose your job. I'm going to destroy your life. I got my shoulders back, my head up, and he was spitting while he was talking. I said, step away because I don't have an umbrella. He says, what? I said, you are spitting. (laughs) You cannot tell me that I... I said, calm down. You will have a heart attack. I said, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm afraid only of God. God, My God is real. If my God wants me to go to prison, it means that he has some work in prison. I go to prison. If my, if my God wants me to be here, I'm not going anywhere. You are going somewhere. No, nobody talks to me that way. I said, well, there is a time that somebody talks to you that way. So you learn to accept it, or if not, my God has to do something about it. He was so angry. I want to see what God can save you from a communist government. I said, you obviously don't know God. I was calm. Well, well, well. I was calm in that moment. But after the accident, your knees start shaking, you know? When I got home, I had stomach pain. My ears turn red when I get upset. My ears always turn red. My ears turn red. My wife saw my ears and she says, honey, you are upset. I said, how could I not? This is what he said to me. Who who does he think he is? And I says, honey, don't allow yourself to behave like, like him if you think that you are better than him. I said, what do you mean? She says, why, why are you upset? Who sent you here? I was quiet. He says, if God sent you here, maybe God sent you here for him. I said, no, he cannot be saved. This, this man is evil. He's, he's Satan. My wife looks to me and she shakes her head and she says, then it means God didn't send you here for him. God sent him here for you. I said, what do you mean? Well, she says, I remember that Jesus said that you need to love your enemies and pray for them. And bless them. And Jesus prayed for them on the cross while they were crucifying him. Do you want to be like Jesus? I said, honey, leave me alone. (laughs) I said, don't you want to be the pastor? She says, well, I'm the pastor's spouse, you know. And she says, I feel it the way you feel it. And she said, I will pray for you tonight. That night, I didn't sleep. I also prayed. I said, Lord, I know that she is right. I just cannot love this man. I hate him. I said, help me to love him. And the more I prayed, the more trouble he gave me because Satan knew. And Satan was trying to push me to the limits that I give up. You follow me? And the more I prayed, it happens that when you pray for something, the more you pray, the worse it goes. Before you don't pray, nothing happens. When you start praying, everything turns upside down. Have you seen that? And God didn't answer. Or it seemed so. And God was actually answering. Because we envision answer as God doing what we ask. Instead of envisioning answer as God doing what he thinks. Do you understand? And God didn't answer the way I understood answer. And the more I prayed, the more trouble. And eventually, after about three months of pain day and night every sabbath every day he made my life a living hell he destroyed my health after three months my wife says honey unless you surrender you should get out of ministry he's gonna ruin your health and your family she said you need to surrender or to get out and I knew that she was right so I had a night that God and I had a talk and I said Lord help me die and help me surrender And whatever you decide that that man would do, put me in prison, make my life miserable, whatever, help me to joyfully accept it and trust that you have a plan. The Syrian situation, the girl that was taken a slave, you have a plan that I don't know. Looking through God's perspective, not through our feelings and our understanding. You follow me? And that night I said, Lord, I give it to you and fully surrender. And give you permission to do whatever, including to kill me. Put me in prison, kill me. I give you permission and give me the strength to trust in you and to accept it and to be joyful and to have faith. It's not that I was happy for it. It's not that instantly I was jumping up and down. No. But I finally said it. I I allowed it to, to go out. God gave me Peace. That man didn't change, and he still hunted me. Church members started to sense that instead of me being angry, I say to them, "We need to pray for him." They say, "Who should, for him to pray? Nonsense." I said, "Yeah, actually, we do need to pray for him, and we do need to bless him. We need to be like Jesus; otherwise, we are just like him." And the church member said, "Pastor, we are on your side. We are against him." I said, no, I don't want you to be on my side. I want you to be on Christ's side. And they said, Pastor, we have nominating committee next month. What should we do? I said, don't ask me. That's politics. Ask Jesus. Well, we did ask Jesus before, and Jesus impressed us not to elect him. But the police came. I said, well, do you have a God that is able to solve any problem? Yes. Do you really believe that? Yes. Then do whatever God says. Well, but he's going to put us in prison. I said, do you believe that God is in control? Yes. Then do what God says. But he's going to put us in prison and close. I said, you don't listen. If God has the power to change things, he can change it. If he doesn't change it, that means that we need the church closed. And we need to go to prison, all of us. Are you willing to do that? And they were quiet. So instead of telling them what to do, I invited them at 6 a.m. at the church to pray together. And for a month, we didn't pray against him. We prayed for surrender and for revival and for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we prayed that we would be born again to reflect Jesus' character. And as we prayed for a month together, those people started to have peace and to trust the Lord. When we had nominating committee, the guy came to us and says, You may have been plotting against me, but you don't know what waits for you. I'm going to ruin your life and anybody that unites with you, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to rejoice seeing you in prison. I looked to him. I smiled and I said, God bless you. He says, "For what? I said, I don't know. I just wish that God would bless you. We had nominating comedy. It was Saturday morning. He didn't get elected. People finally got courage and they said, you know, if God wants our church closed, let him close it, but we are not going to compromise anymore because of fear he didn't get elected in that moment he stood up he was in the front left three four rows from the first row he stood up red he says today you are gonna go to prison you are terminated when he said that to me in that second he dropped in the church he had a heart attack That's that's real story they called the ambulance they took him to hospital And they sent him home. They said it was a massive heart attack. We cannot save him. He lived five more days. Now, this is the story. My wife sent me to visit him. And she said, you go there and you pray for him. And you don't come back home before you save him. Because if God wanted him killed, he would have died. God gave him days because God loves him. As God loved the Syrian captain of the army, as God loved the thief on the cross, as God loved those who crucify him, God loves this person. And you hate him because you look only here. But God looks there. God he sees eternal life. And God allows you even to suffer here if that would save somebody for eternity. And you should not look to your life. You should look for eternity because we are transitory here. We are not here to have a comfortable life. We don't have a house to have a house. We don't have a job to have a job. We have a house to save the neighbors. We have a job to save the co-workers. We are, you follow me? We are not here to have a life here. We are here transitory. Our goal is to get there. All the patriarchs lived with the hope to, to get to that country. Why would we live with the hope to have a good life in this country? You follow me? And my wife said, you go to him and you don't come home before you save him. So my wife and I prayed. And I prayed all the way to him. And I got to him and I said, I want to pray with you. He says why? I said, I, I want you to be saved. He says, it's impossible. The Holy Spirit left me 40 years ago. He says, I am lost. I ruined so many lives. There is no salvation for me. I said, how do you know? Did you have a talk with the Holy Spirit? and He told you it's too late for you. He says, no. I said, do you want to be saved? Yes. Then the Holy Spirit didn't leave you. How do you know? I said, in your nature, you don't want God or salvation. In your human nature, it's the Holy Spirit that puts in you that desire in the prodigal son. I need to go home. It's the Holy Spirit who put it in his heart. You follow me? I said, if you have that desire for Jesus and for salvation, it means that it's not too late. But I have done so much. I said, man, you didn't do as much as the thief on the cross. Oh, I don't know. I said, that's okay. You don't need to know what he did because you are not a Catholic priest. I said, but the woman at the well, the, you know, people who persecuted, Paul put Christians in prison and they were killed. I said, you know what? Regardless how big are your sins, God's grace is bigger. And God's blood, is absolutely sufficient to forgive any sin. I said, do you think there is salvation for me? Yes. How do you know? It's the Bible. I don't need to know. It's the Bible. It's God's word. He said, what shall I do to be saved? I said, repent. He says, how do I do that? Confess and then trust. He says, who should I confess to? I said, not to me. To the people that you did mistakes to and to God. He said, but there are too many. I said, then you hurry up because you don't have a lot of time. You better start. He says, well, I cannot talk. He was whispering. He had no strength. He was, I cannot talk. I said, I'm here for you. I can talk. So he says, he started. He says, call so-and-so and and tell him that I'm sorry. Call so-and-so. Five days, we kept calling people. I called a bunch of people. And most of them, I cannot forgive him. I said, then we need to pray for you. Bye. (laughs) After five days, he says, I don't remember anybody. What if there is somebody that I don't remember? I said, God is not going to judge you for what you don't know. I said, pray that the Lord would remind you what you need to ask forgiveness for. He said, I did, but I just don't remember more. I said, don't bother with what you don't remember. Say, Lord, forgive the sins that I don't remember, and those that you put in my mind, I will confess. He said, and that's it? I said, that's it. Then I said, now make peace with God. And I allowed him to have a prayer. Then I said, now you are done. You can be saved. He says, it's so simple. I said, well, that was not simple. Five days, you know. (laughs) And I said, Pastor, would you do my funeral? I almost said that would be a joy, but I didn't. (laughs) He died that night after five days. He died. Do you think that it was easy for me or for him? Why did God allow all that pain? We... So much puts self in the center that we forget the reason we are here. We forget we are blind to the people around. And we forget that we have a mission. God didn't call us to have a comfortable life. God called us for a mission. He gave us a service. It's called the Great Commission. It's not a great suggestion. It's not a, if you can, when you get retired, you must go today. And we just don't have time for God because we are so focused. Even in our prayers, focused on self. And we wonder, why don't we get a blessing? You'll never get a blessing when you seek a blessing for self. Ellen White says, quote, no one, and I could give you the quote, I have it in my cell phone. Word by word, you can Google it on Ellen White Estate and you'll find it. No one prays a right seeking a blessing for self. And then in the next paragraph, she says, to look for self is to exhibit Satan's character. Hello? Can you imagine? Jesus didn't come to serve self. He didn't pray for self. He came to serve others. And he called us to be like him. And he says, who doesn't give up everything, including self, is not worthy to be my disciple. So God is calling you not only to go to church and know the doctrines and eat healthy and keep Sabbath and return tithe, and do all those who should. When you know Jesus, you are not going to break the Sabbath. But he doesn't call you only to that. Jesus, because we understand that religion means that we go to church and keep Sabbath. You follow me? Jesus calls you to full surrender. Jesus calls you to self-sacrifice. Jesus calls you to a life that would be like Jesus. Otherwise, you may have the names in the books of the church, but you are not a Christian. In fact, you are worse than a Christian. You misrepresent Jesus. And people look into you, they say, I don't need that type of religion. But when you live like Jesus... Then you make him proud and he can use you. And then you have power. And you spread that smell of life around you. That peace, that love, that joy that people say, in our society, that's amazing, that's very unusual. Somebody that sacrifices self for me. You follow me? That's Christianity. So that's what we start talking. This this was only introduction. That's what we start talking about this weekend. And we have very little time, obviously. But I want to say... Are you willing to go through that experience that is so painful? Otherwise, you should not even go to church. Stay home, eat pizza, watch a stupid movie, lose your time. Because you lose your time in the church. If you are not willing to die to self, how can Jesus be born in me and in you? How could he use us or save us or get us ready for heaven that we reflect God's character and we match the character of heaven unless we are willing to be like Jesus? So we should not lie ourselves. Oh, it's okay if you go to church. It's not. It's good, but not enough. Before we are willing to fully sacrifice, 100% surrender, self, we are not Christians. We are only babies. People who get baptized, and 40 years later, they still wear diapers. They never grow up spiritually. Spiritually. They sing a song, and if you don't praise them, they don't come next Sabbath to church. Everybody says, wow, what a song, oh. And they, oh, thank you. Come on. We need to grow up. Somebody says something, I get upset, the pastor has to visit you three times before you, okay, I'm coming back. Grow up. If God allowed them to stone you, let them stone you. You deserve it. If God wants you saved, he'll save you. Oh, I got upset with the church. Grow up. You understand? It's not about you. It's not about me. We are nothing. It's only Christ in us. And when Christ lives in us, we don't behave that way. We are ready to hurt everybody, including our families, for our self pride and comfort. You need to be willing to hurt yourself for others. Yep. Yeah. There is a quotation I keep repeating. And I have a bunch of, my cell phone is full of quotations. I keep repeating. Seven testimonies, page 30 and then 32. To everyone, how many? Who fully surrenders, withholding nothing. How much can you keep withholding nothing? To everyone that fully surrenders, withholding nothing. Unlimited heavenly power. Power is provided for attainment of measureless results. You cannot receive that power unless you die fully, surrender fully. But when you are willing to fully surrender, then God can give you unlimited power. Because you are not going to use it the way you want. Remember, Jesus says, I don't do my own works. I do the works of the Father. Only when you are willing to fully surrender and do whatever he says, and you do nothing of self, then God can give you power because you are going to use it the way he says Think about it. it says, in fast from the Mount of Blessings, she says, Jesus received the plans from the Father. Every morning he would go early to prayer, and he would commune with the Father, and he would receive the plans for the day. That's the reason he says, I don't do my own works. And then she says, and this is the key, she says, every morning we should present our plans for the day before the Lord, being ready to fulfill them or to give them up as he wills. And then you should pray for his plan. You need to surrender your will and your plans and your house. And your job and your life. And God may not say give up your job. Or he may. But you need to do whatever he says. Whatever he says. Without understanding based on your relationship and trust in him. You follow me? Only when you get to that point, God can fully work. Now, don't expect that you are going to get tonight to that point. It's called spiritual growth from being a baby and drinking milk to the statue of fullness of Christ. You follow me? And children don't grow overnight. It just doesn't happen. You know, they grow gradually. So it's none of your business how you grow. Your business is to fully surrender. His business is to give you a new heart. His business is to grow you his business is to defend you or to help you you fully surrender daily and let him do his job in his time in his way you don't need to understand it's like the wind you don't see the wind working nevertheless the holy spirit keeps working 5 years down the road you look back and say god has been working and he has been working powerfully i could i could have never imagined these things you follow me and when are you going to start that experience if not tonight If not tonight, then when? Ever? Because if you... This is the easiest thing. I'm going to start tomorrow. That means that I don't want to start. Because if you really want, start it right away. I want it. Boom. Start it now. Lord, I surrender. As I said, we like change. Just don't touch my stuff. Okay, folks. What time is it? What is okay? 8:22. We started around 7:15. Our time is up. Unfortunately, we didn't get to the sermon, but we will get to the sermon. No worries. I challenge you to pray and think about it. I believe God is calling the church. When I say the church, I am not talking about the building or the organization. We are the church, you and me, the people. I believe God is calling you and me to a higher level in our spiritual maturity. I believe it is time for us to be like Jesus and finish the work and go home. There is nothing here to desire. We can get so used to Egypt that we just don't want to go out of Egypt. And this is Egypt and we are in slavery. We're in bondage here. It's time for us to go home. God bless you. We'll continue tomorrow.